0: We don't have to engage in grand, heroic actions to participate in change. Small acts, when multiplied by millions of people, can transform the world. These words by Howard Sen, and our guest today is one who is surely engaged in bringing about change. In this podcast series created and hosted by Rahul Suri of Russell of Book Club, we are bringing you inspiring stories and journeys of people who who love their chosen profession and are bringing about a change through their chosen path namaste i'm sana sharma your host for this evening and it is my privilege to introduce our guest of the day dr karandeep singh is a tedx speaker A fourth and Fortune 500 listed entrepreneur, a distinguished Cambridge and Oxford alumnus, he is driven by a firm belief to transform the educational setup to make it more sustainable and aligned with the need of the art. He is also India's Ambassador to the United Nations for SDG 2030. Thank you so much for joining us today. sir.
1: Thank you so much, Rana, and uh, big congratulations to you and, of course, to Rahul also for taking this amazing initiative. I think it's absolutely brilliant, uh, you know, and I'm absolutely humbled and honored to be here having this opportunity to... To, to talk to you guys about my journey, let's say. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you. Uh,
0: sir, you have a very interesting career path. So, can you share something about your journey from Punjab to Cambridge to Harvard and now the United Nations? Uh, what is it that drives you? Who are the people who inspired and motivated
1: you? That's a good question. See, um, I come from a military background. So, four generations of the army uh, have are in my blood. So, my, right from my great grandfather, who was in the uh, British Army in the Second World War and then uh, followed by my grandfather for the Seventy-one War and then my father was in the Kargil War. So um, there was a massive influence, right, from childhood. You know, I got an opportunity to literally travel to all remote parts of this country, see areas and, you know, interact with people as a child, which you normally don't get to. Interact was a very important point because that builds a lot of compassion and you respect people for who they are. So that was something ingrained in me. And my mother was a college lecturer, you know, and uh, my father was mostly away on the, you know, on the on the borders or, or working on counterterrorism. So, in a way, um, you know, my mother's um, strong will and empowerment, working full time as a college lecturer and also raising her son was a big inspiration, I would say, in the long run, because uh, I think she did a wonderful job and she did become a role model, along with, of course, my dad, I would say the first role model, of me getting into education was obviously my mother because i could see that even in those years in india when um the you know now we're living in a time when equality is something we're still fighting for when in terms of women rights but in those days it was very really hard for a, for a mother to raise a son um you know in, in job especially and also work full time you know there's so many stigmas in society so um Technically, yes, I am from Punjab, but I always call myself a child of India because I got an opportunity to be around the whole country. um, And that had a massive impact on moving out of India and then, you know, sort of relocating to different parts of the world and working. Um, I never found it challenging because it was something that I learned that when you give respect, you get respect. You know, when when you are humble, when you're compassionate to any culture, any religion, any person, uh, invariably, you will get that same respect back. And that has been a motto uh, with me right from probably when I was 10 to now that I'm 37. Uh, I have not left that thought sort of process for mine.
0: Uh, that's amazing, sir. Now, uh, can you tell us about your vision for the education system?
1: My vision for the education system has always been uh, very pragmatic. It's been very, uh, I wouldn't say futuristic because the future is developed pretty much every day. That's what we work on as innovators. But when I got exposed to certain curriculums or certain universities, like Oxford University and, and did my post-graduation at Harvard, my first important goal was to remove the cultural financial divide that we have in India. Because as a country, for 100 years, we were under the colonial empire. The master and slave mentality has plagued the education system. So mediocrity is something that I'm not comfortable with. And I am not comfortable with the fact that students from Tier 1 and Tier 2 cities possibly afford, let's say, let's call it quality education, but the kids in villages and townships are not able to. I mean, if you, to, to give you an example, during the, during the pandemic when EdTech was at its peak, we could not uh, bring the government's logic of RTE, right to education, to the masses. So the number one passion that drives me is to create, to, is to democratize education, is to make sure that not where you live should decide your future. The quality of exposure has to be mainstreamed in this country. Because trust me, I've seen the villages of this country that worked with students from different parts of this country all have passion. But the problem is we are neglecting almost 60% of our student population just to draw profits because we are a private-based country. So I would say what drives me in education is to keep pushing the boundaries of the private education sector, which starts including students who might possibly not be able to afford their fee. Uh, And this applies not just for schools, I also push this model for colleges.
0: So, could you please tell us what exactly is Forest Curriculum and how does it help
1: students? Forest Curriculum was basically something that uh, ignited my interest. by I was working as a principal of a Cambridge residential school in Chennai, this is almost two thousand eighteen, and. Uh, you know how the newton logic was that the apple dropped and he discovered gravity so i was just talking to my students and i said okay they were having their lunch break. and a student i asked them i asked a simple question i said where does where, where, this apple that you're having where does it come from and the student you know simply answered it comes from the supermarket so it kind of ignited a massive thought process that our learners, especially who are not exposed to the life cycle of you know what nature is, would be completely divided as leaders when they become in the future of understanding the balance of uh, you know technical education versus the importance of safeguarding the planet in terms of our ecosystem. So forest education actually came as a requirement at that point because I realized that if we are not giving them the best of both worlds, which is technical Classroom knowledge versus outside the classroom pure experiential knowledge. Then we are taking something be away from them. I mean, if a child doesn't know the life cycle of where an apple is, where it comes from, then there is no point in teaching him on a smart board or massive uh, gadgets, which I could use child's education is just 20%. So forest education was born from there. Basically what I did was I took every theoretical subject and I created a transdisciplinary extension into a nature based education. For example, organic farming is something that we always keep talking about. But the point is organic farming and a country like it is is always happening. So I took the farmers. From Tamil Nadu, who were already farming, and I converted them into guest lecturers because I wanted to empower the village farmers, and I wanted the students to understand the humility and humanity that even farmers are teachers. And then, when I would take them to the fields, and you know, they would understand okay, different concepts of uh, uh, understanding organic farming. Then they would relate it to the science subject. When they would do bird watching, or they would actually use uh, leave their smartphone away and actually use an actual compass to, to actually understand directions. This would help them in physical education. When they would actually sit in front of a tree and draw, that's where Impressionism was taught and, you know, visual arts would be born. You know, when you want to talk about nature-based poetry and you're sitting in a classroom, what's the point of that? So forest education was not just linked to understanding the ecosystem of nature, but it was to create a system where theoretical knowledge has a practical extension and you can actually utilize what you know. because just books are not enough anymore. Hence the forest education program came to development.
0: So this is amazing. So, uh, can you tell us something about your work as the Indian ambassador for the United Nations as uh, uh, in SDGs and how can students contribute?
1: Right. So see, when we talk about sustainable development goals, uh, there was a time in the world when we were still procrastinating as a world about 10 years back or 15 years back that this is not something that's going to happen to us. Or a person sitting, let's say I'm sitting in my house, I would never feel that a global warming will happen to me. It's happening in the world, but I won't be affected by it. But now we are in this time where it is affecting each and every one of us in Mahabeyonga. I started working on the sustainable development goals for the last five years. And... I've been working with National Institute of Transforming India, and there are 17 sustainable development goals. And the critical problem is we have a target of 20-30 for a specific reason. It's a scientific data to target that the point of irreversibility with respect to how the Earth's temperature and the ecosystem is dying. Uh, my worry is that being an educationist who works with students, young people, right, from, let's say, kindergarten to kids who are doing the MBA, I've gone through the whole life cycle of a student's life. My worry is, what kind of planet am I going to leave them? Or will, I, will, I, will they even have a planet? So these are existential questions which no longer have time for procrastination. So the problem is sustainable development goals are the only way that using education we can create solutions. Unfortunately the last four decades, the four generations have failed. You know when we talk about the age of plastic, our youngsters, kids who were born after the 90s were already born in the plastic age. Technically they were already born in a pro- problematic planet but now unfortunately they are going to wear the brunt to come up with a solution. So as people who are now, I'm in my late 30s and a lot of people who might be older than me. If this is the kind of planet that we're planning to leave to our youngsters, and if we call ourselves educators, then I think that we're doing a big misjustice. So, when I work on sustainable development goals, I'm working with not just government entities, I'm working with private K-12, higher education colleges. Practical solutions on ground is what we want. A lot of talk has happened about climate change and all that jazz, but we need to work on the ground. So, we have been working on actual practical solutions and when we see that a project is doing really well, then we make sure that the government is able to fund it and the government gets a tender for that particular project or startup so that they can actually start working. And this has been going on for five years. And the good news is most of the private entities like Meta or Bill Gates or Bill Bill, Bill, Gates the big capital entities are now investing into sustainability. And the third important factor is in the corporate industry, obviously the companies have realized that there is no planet B, there's no science fiction movie that they can fly off to a planet uh, in a spaceship. So they have also started, incorporating what we call the green economy so green economy is the only way we can survive so sustainability as a business practice as a household practice as a living practice it is no longer a choice or a luxury it is uh, pretty much you can say that it's the deal of the hour so we've been working on it literally on the ground i myself work on it literally on the ground practically on the ground but we process it
0: a busy professional life from Punjab to Ladakh, along with leading brand and uh, working with Niti Ayo. How uh, you play many roles? Sir. How do you manage all these?
1: I believe that one has to have very clinical uh, One has to be very good in planning. And there's a stereotype, but I have to use it that when you look at time versus productivity, productivity matters. So what that basically means is that uh I might be sitting, let's say, in front of a computer for 10 hours. But if my actual productivity is two hours, then I wasted eight hours. So I work on a different model. I work on a productivity model. If I'm involved in something, then I need to make sure that whatever time I'm putting in that particular area, it is 100% productive. Otherwise, I won't do it. If let's say on one given day, I know that I should not go in this meeting because I have something else or I should not touch this project because I would not touch it. So the reason I've been able to utilize time properly is because I follow a proper regime of every week I create my calendar and not just a random calendar. Calendar based on things that actually, I can actually do not just randomly, okay, this week I'll try to do this. I do backward planning. I don't believe in forward planning. So for example, if I'm doing something on Saturday, In order for me to do something on Saturday, I need to know what am I doing on Friday, which will allow me to achieve what I have to do on Saturday. So in business, in corporate life, we believe good companies, good people always do backward plans. So what we call T minus one. You know, you go backwards to day one and then you know your deadlines. So even if I'm working on my own projects, I work on deadlines. That is the only way you can uh, be disciplined enough to be diligent to use time.
0: So we should avoid actually inculcate this in our daily habits. Uh, so, what would be your message for the students of today, especially girls who dream and have aspirations to make a difference?
1: Uh, See, so my message would be pretty simple, uh, Sana. So I uh, believe that, um, you know, as a movement, feminism came up in this world uh, way back in the 1950s when it um, started back in the United States and spread. Uh, we are still living in a very really polarized country. You know, we have... Realize and actualize women empowerment as the actual way uh, or, or, of this planet going forward. But the irony or the sad part of our country is that we are still sitting in the same country where in one part of the country we are talking fancy things about empowerment, and on the other part of the country in states like Haryana, Punjab, Marshall, we are still running beti bachao, beti padhao. Like that means we are still in that stage where we are trying to save the girl child's life. So that is a very very strong thing. People don't realize in big cities that what is the re- reality of your village. How many people in this country would actually travel to a village and then actually work on projects? And I'll be very brutally honest with you, 95% of the NGOs that I've seen in this country are absolutely just drawing money from the government, but the on-ground work is not happening. The problem is, uh, the solution is for women, it is very important now to not depend on the government or some private entity or some NGO. Taking control is important. There is no distinction between gender. The first thought is, you're a human being, regardless of whether you're a transgender, whether you're male, you're a female, whatever sexuality you might have, you're a human being. First, you have to understand that. If you can understand that, only then you'll realize that you're absolutely born equal. There is no distinction for you in this world. Yes, society has polarized you, especially in patriarchal societies like ours, but do not let that dictate your uh, emotional or your, you know, social, emotional, or your psychological perspective. It is completely in our hands. And yes, for women, life is much harder because of the way our society perceives them. But unfortunately, we have to fight it. You will find supporters, you will find good people who support you. But if we don't draw our own fight with our own hands and depend on the system to fix it the system will not fix we have to take the fight in our own hands it's very important and we have to forget the fact that we are men women or we are all human beings and we deserve absolutely equal uh, attention pay uh, security as any other human
0: so this makes so much more sense um and with this we bring this session to an end Thank you so much, Dr. Karandeep, sir, Thank and students audience for Thank joining us here today. Do visit the social media pages of Book Club, and please like, follow, and share, and lend us your support. Thank you, and namaste.